Hi, and welcome to Multiple Stories. This is the Multiple Sclerosis Podcast. At least that's what I intend it to be. My name is Rajiv Odhavji, and I'm a 31-year-old from Sydney, Australia, that was diagnosed with primary progressive multiple sclerosis in 2017. This episode will be my story. Now, I'm honestly not sure how many of you know anything about MS, as it's known. Some of you might only know MS through your one friend who seems a little tired now and then. Some of you others, like me, will know MS as a brutally disabling disease that will slowly remove all of your functionality as a human year by year. That being said, whether or not you still decide to act like a human is up to you. Okay, fine. I'll be human. Boring. But anyway. Multiple sclerosis is an autoimmune condition that affects your brain and spinal cord. Um, autoimmune meaning your own immune system is doing the damage to you. Yes, the very thing that is supposed to be defending me from all disease is the thing that is causing this disease. It affects your brain and spinal cord. In short, it attacks your central nervous system. In other words, your CPU. And it'll leave a series of scars or lesions that led to the name multiple sclerosis, which literally means multiple scars. Anyway, so let's get back to my story. This all started around the end of 2016 when I was on holiday with my girlfriend in Vietnam, just slowly backing up and trying to take a photo, when suddenly I seemingly tripped over nothing and fell onto my tailbone and my wrist. Spent the rest of the holiday eating wonderful food, given, but trying to ignore my seemingly broken wrist on the other hand. Um, we got back home where my series of uncoordinated events seemed to continue. I noticed as I was walking my dogs that it felt like my brakes were gone. I was having to walk down hills almost sideways because it felt like I was just going to fly down all of them. Finally, in April 2017, when I fell up the back stairs trying to get some groceries inside, that I finally decided to go see a doctor. And so the next day I ended up in my medical center seeing my GP where I filled him in on all of the weird events that had happened in the last few months. And he asked me to walk up and down the corridor while he was watching. What I didn't realize was that he was watching me walking up and down the corridor with a distinct circumgait. In other words, my legs were not distributing the pressure evenly and I was actually swinging my left leg around in a circle due to the spasticity and muscle weakness I was feeling in my legs. But hey, I just thought I had a bit of a limp. Anyway, so we got back to the office where I'm pretty sure he was already thinking some um, fairly, fairly bad things. But like a good doctor, he continued the diagnostic process. So he got me to touch the tip of my nose with my fingers and then to touch his hand. 
and he kept on moving his hand while mine kept on going back and forth between my nose and his hand. And I <laughs> I started laughing my ass off. I don't know why, but neurological tests have the same effect on me to this day. I don't know why they, they just seem so absurd and childlike for such a serious thing. And what I didn't realize was that my hand wasn't actually going straight from my nose to his hand. It was taking an arc every single time. But it was at this point that I realized I was in some serious trouble. Because he said that he wanted me to go get a brain MRI. Not an x-ray. Not a CT scan. But an MRI. The golden standard of medical imaging where they look for rare and wonderful diseases and so i knew i was in some trouble if he's even using mri at all that's not good um he also asked if i didn't mind if his colleague could come have a look at all the different ways my body was responding to all of the tests that he had just performed and you never want to be the patient that your doctor boasts about to their colleagues. And you can take my word on it, but I never wanted to have a cold so badly, except right at that moment. Anyway, the next day I went to the imaging center with some trepidation and got into the machine that I cannot help but describe as a mechanical coffin. It really, really is uh, a cough, a very loud mechanical coffin. About an hour later, the test was finished and the nurse helped me get dressed. And it was the next moment when I knew I was royally screwed. I was walking down the corridor with my radiographer when I had another one of my little stumbles that I was so used to at this point. And the radiographer almost dived onto the ground in order to protect me. And in my head, it seemed like such an absurd reaction for such a tiny stumble. And then as I was walking away even further, it occurred to me that she knew exactly what was inside my brain and exactly what was wrong with me. And frighteningly, I didn't realize whether her reaction was an absurd overreaction or exactly the right reaction. Anyway, I, um, I shook it off and I went home. I mean, what are the chances that you have one of these ridiculously rare diseases that MRIs test for in the first place, right? Unless you've been told otherwise, do not let it get to you. But as always, sleep seemed to find me a little harder that night. And the next day, I woke to a phone call from the medical center asking me to come in because my MRI results were ready and the doctor would like to see me. <laughs> Immediately see me. So at that point, it's, it's not even a question anymore. I knew that I was going to receive some fairly bad news today. And just to confirm it, Right as I walked into the office, he asked me to sit down and told me that he had some bad news. And he paused as if to let me stop him if I wished. And I said, Doctor, come on, you know me. 
It is why you're talking to me like this in the first place. What is wrong with me? And he said, you have multiple sclerosis. And I was in shock. I was in shock. I said, how can you be so sure? Because I knew how difficult MS was to diagnose. I'd been doing all of my research about anything that I could have. And I knew MS was one of them. But I also knew that you generally had to do a lot of MRIs, spinal taps, etc., etc., in order to have a real idea as to whether or not the person has a disease. And I, I just couldn't understand how he could be so sure. And he put up my MRI images right on the light board sitting behind him. And what I saw was shocking and confusing. Because I thought I knew what an MRI image was supposed to look like. But this did not look like that. It looked like um, so much more. Kind of uh, looked like Christmas lights. To be honest, it was kind of beautiful. But it was right then that he explained to me that every single one of those lights on the image was a lesion on my brain. One of those scars I was talking about before. And he said, my MRI could be in a medical textbook in order to explain to students what a typical MS brain looked like in an MRI image. And the shock started to settle in at that point. And um, to be honest, everything the doctor was saying from that point onwards kind of sounded like radiostatic to me. Uh, gadolinium reactions indicate a fair bit of inflammation. We will need to do a spinal tap in order to validate this diagnosis. There is no cure. Steroids. Neurologists. It was at this point that I noticed that I wasn't thinking of my amazing girlfriend of five years, or my mother, or my father, or my sisters. My mind had settled firmly on the man who I had gone to a Christmas party at every single year for the last, like, 20 years. His name was John Blades, and he was one of the most inspiring people that I ever had the honor of knowing. And a friend of my father's, he also had MS. And my father watched him go from walking fine to using one walking stick to two to um, a kind of wheelie walker to a manual wheelchair, an electric wheelchair, and finally a chin-controlled electric wheelchair as the progression took control of his body. And yet... While this was happening, he was still making a radio show every single week at 2MBS there in um, St. Leonard's. Uh, he was part of, he was a founding member, actually, of an electric music band called the Loop Orchestra that was massive in Europe and seemed to have the same uh, and ever-growing group of friends that would come to his house every single year, including me. And so I, I knew what I was in for. And um, I went home with a million conflicting thoughts in my head. And sleep came even harder that night.
the next couple of months seemed to fly by, even though I was going through the most, the most stressful time of my life. And my girlfriend and our families were doing amazingly well dealing with it all. Eventually, I ended up in the office of Dr. Michael Barnett. That's right, THE Dr. Michael Barnett. Don't worry, I had no idea who he was either. But basically every person that I came across from that point onwards did. I mean, he was the MS celebrity to be known in Sydney. It's one of the most highly respected researchers in the MS world, in fact. Um, and I sat in his office for a few hours where he did a full suite of neurological tests. And yes, I was laughing my ass off the entire time, which he was also kind of very disturbed about. He's like, you know, these are very serious. These, never mind. Um, anyway, so I was laughing my ass off. And he asked me an armada of uh, different questions related to my symptoms and my past. And once again, the MRI images of my brain and my spine came out up on the light board. And Dr. Barnett pointed out something that I kind of suspected already. He said it was impossible to know for sure just how many lesions I had on my brain purely due to the fact that there were so many that it became impossible to tell them apart from one another. But he estimated there would be about 120 lesions on my brain and eight on my spine. And I knew that, I mean, I, I did my research and there were people who'd had MS for years and years and years and they didn't have more than 20 lesions. And so I, I knew that my MS, either I'd had it for a very long time or it, it was moving incredibly fast, but he estimated that it would take my immune system about 10 years to do that amount of damage to my central nervous system. And it was then that I began to realize that my story didn't begin in 2017 at all. But around 2005 to 2006, it began in high school when I was having about a migraine every single month for about two years towards the end of high school. But right at that moment, I also realized something incredible that inspired me, even me, someone who was feeling so down, so depressed and it inspired even me. And that was the fact that every single thing that I had done since high school, from flying airplanes, for real, I used to be a pilot, doing most if not all of the rock climbing in my life, climbing Mount Fuji to the summit with my girlfriend had been done while primary progressive multiple sclerosis was fully taking hold of my body. He also walked me through all the different types of MS. Because MS tends to take one of three clinical courses, generally speaking. And 75 to 80% of MS patients have something known as relapsing remitting MS, 
which is characterized by a total or partial recovery after attacks, also known as relapses or exacerbations. And the second of the general three clinical courses is secondary progressive multiple sclerosis. And this is where patients will hold a generally relapsing remitting course for several years, which will then become steadily progressive at a certain point. And the third clinical course is known as primary progressive multiple sclerosis, my multiple sclerosis. And it's been progressive from the very onset. But to be frank, I'm skipping a few steps as Dr. Barnett needed to wait for about a year in order to firmly diagnose me by essentially watching me and seeing no definite hints of a relapse. And I, I couldn't help but smile at the thought of that. Like, wow, that's, that's incredible. That's genuinely incredible. And Dr. Barnett also recommended that I start on a medicine called ocrelizumab, which was weirdly the only drug on the market that showed any effect on primary progressive multiple sclerosis and it was released in the same year that I was diagnosed. I like to describe ocrelizumab as a watered-down chemotherapy, which indeed it is. However, it does not give justice to the complexity of the drug. And to use some scientific jargon for a moment, um, ocrelizumab is an immunosuppressive drug. In other words, it suppresses your immune system. It binds to a protein called CD20, which is selectively made by B cells. B cells being one of the cells in your entire suite of different immune cells. And when ocrelizumab binds to CD20, it kills the B cells by causing antibody-dependent cell-mediated cytotoxicity. All right, I'll break it down for you. <laughs> I'll break it down for you. Try not to use any uh, Latin from this point. Um, mind you, this is only one drug in the very diverse world of MS disease modifying therapies. Think of B cells as kind of the general. If this immune world is structured like an army, the B cells are at the top of the food chain. They're the generals. And the T cells are the grunts. They're the soldiers, the marines, they're the ones going out and doing all of the actual damage to me. However, think about it as if suddenly you're killing all of the generals in this equation. The soldiers have no leadership suddenly anymore and thereby they won't be able to do the damage. I mean, that's the theory anyway. So... I got my first dose in August of 2017 and so started the waiting game. Ocrevus is taken every six months and so I would need to wait for another six months to get another MRI. Six more months of waiting to see if my body was still attacking itself with all of its strength. Near the end of six months my body started to feel absolutely awful. In this time, I was walking terribly, 
and I had bought a walking stick followed by a four-wheeled walker and eventually a manual wheelchair so I could be pushed around on really, really bad days. And yet again, the stories that my dad used to tell me about John Blades were bouncing around in my head. I didn't realize what effect merely purchasing the wheelchair would have on the people around me, especially in reference to how they treated me. And I would quickly get to realize what disabled people meant by instantaneously losing a sense of humanity. I have a more eloquent way of describing it, I think. But you start experiencing the world at crotch level. And me and my girlfriend toured the world in 2018, went to Tokyo, Berlin, Amsterdam, ended up in London. Um, And the entire thing was experienced in my manual wheelchair being pushed around by my amazing girlfriend. And it was a series of crotch, ass, crotch, ass, crotch, ass. Wow, that is it. Okay, fine. You definitely feel like you are losing your humanity when people don't look you in the face, when they can't, well, they can by stopping and tilting their head downwards. But who does that very often? So you, you look at the world at crotch level. At crotch level. But anyway, um, I, I do remember some incredible things um, about that experience of being pushed around in my manual wheelchair by my amazing girlfriend. I remember some incredible things like in London being carried up a set of stairs and feeling like a royal in old India. But uh, it might have just been me imagining the inlaid jade and diamonds on my fantastic throne. But whatever. Um, it was it was a good thing. It was a nice experience. Uh, but anyway, there were also some opposites to that equation um like seeing the or sorry feeling the wonderful cobblestones of amsterdam from a wheelchair with zero suspension but as bouncy as the entire trip was it made it more incredible knowing that my longtime girlfriend was there with me the entire time and Also, my awesome sisters were there waiting for me in London. And anyway, I must say the entire trip would teach me very rapidly that as long as you have the right support around you, you can do anything. And this disease can do nothing. So anyway, next time I hope to talk to my girlfriend, Anna. On the show along with my incredible family and so you can hear what it was like to be what it is like to be on the other side of this very very oddly shaped coin so next time you're going to find out some other some other stories on multiple stories thank you all for listening to the first episode of multiple stories stick around to hear from every character that makes up this incredibly diverse narrative I hope to speak to everyone from direct carers of mine to exercise physiologists, neurologists, and everyone in between. 
And feel free to check out our social media, which is Multiple Stories Pod on Twitter and Instagram, and also the Multiple Stories group on Facebook. Also head over to multiplestoriespodcast.com where you can find any show notes relating to all episodes. And also please send us any questions or requests about the show. Thank you all again and I hope you stick around for another story on Multiple Stories.